Hi, I'm Martha Moore, and I am teacher in residence here at Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church, and I'm talking with Lorian Hook, who is our administrative coordinator in the Equipping Ministries. And Lorian and I, along with Christy Dull, have been spending the last couple of months going through the book of Genesis in preparation for our Word and Worship Bible study that's going to start next fall. And we have just really enjoyed digging into this book. But what's fascinating is that one of the questions that was submitted to the church was this question that is found in Genesis 22 that we've had a chance to look at. And it's that, uh, how is it that a loving God could ask Abraham, a father who has been waiting for a child for so many years, to then sacrifice that very same child that has been a child of promise? It's a story that's found in Genesis 22. So, Lorian, give us the backstory on what's going on here. Sure, absolutely. So, Genesis 22 We've had a little bit of a journey um, with with Abram and, and his family or with his wife, and we've seen God call him out of the land of his fathers into this unknown uh, adventure, and we've seen and heard God promise that he's going to make uh, Abram and his family into this great nation, and he's going to bless people through them, and yet we still don't have any descendants for a long time. And then God is faithful to that promise. Uh, Sarah becomes pregnant. She gives birth to Isaac. And Isaac is just this child of the promise. He's this beloved um, firstborn of, of Abraham and his wife. And then we come to chapter 22 of the book of Genesis, and the unthinkable happens. We have this God whom Abraham has followed faithfully and, and has, has attempted to serve and who has you know, left father and country and family to follow. And we have this God ask Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, this child of the promise. And it leaves us in this really big conundrum. And we're left wondering, well, what's Abraham thinking? And what's Isaac thinking? And how, how, could, this, how could this be where we're at? How, how have we ended up here? Uh, so that's kind of a little bit of the backstory leading into to Genesis 22. Uh, and then I know you've, Martha, you've pointed out just some really interesting connections that we see and how we have to view the story uh, not only in Genesis 22, but also throughout the rest of Scripture. So I would love to hear you talk more about that because I know that encouraged me a lot. Well, that's what's so exciting. When you when you have a question like this, when you have a difficult situation like this, to be able to go throughout the Bible and find yeah. out other ways that God has addressed these, these very difficult life situations and one of the ways that you can do that is by searching the scripture. And if you go to the New Testament and you go to Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, mm -hmm. where you, you have just this catalog of people who have been faithful with God, in verse 17 it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who he had received as the child of promise. And while Abraham was in the very act of offering his one and only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, Abraham at that point didn't understand how it was that God was going to intervene. But in Hebrews, it says that Abraham considered that God was going to be able to raise Isaac from the dead, which figuratively speaking, 
he would receive him back. So even though he wanted to be faithful to God in this, he knew that God would somehow be able to bring this child of promise back to life. But Lorian, you pointed out that God actually had an ulterior motive in what he was asking of Abraham yeah. in light of the cu- the culture that he lived in. Exactly. So if we remember this, the culture that surrounds these these people in the Old Testament times, uh, we have it's the ancient Near Eastern cultures around them. Uh, there were several of these cultures that were extremely violent. Um, that often participated in child sacrifice as a part of their worship to their to their gods and to their various deities. And so what we have here is in some ways, this is not the entire point of the story, but in some ways, uh, this is the God of Abraham demonstrating ultimately by the end of the story that he is very different from these other gods and deities of these nations because the God of Abraham ultimately shows that he does not desire child sacrifice. Um, he provides a ram instead at the end of the story and and Isaac is spared and Abraham and, and Isaac and their descendants carry on this promise. And so in some ways, the story is highlighting the God of Abraham, the God of the Old Testament, ways that he is different than the gods of these other people that that we ultimately see be defeated throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Well, and that's actually the beauty of the story. I like what you said about how this is one aspect of the story that that God wanted to reveal how he was different from uh, all the other gods, and it is exactly that. When we dig down even deeper to find out just how amazing our God is, and we look to the New Testament, and in John chapter 11, there's that amazing story, that amazing experience that Martha and Mary and Lazarus had when when Martha and Mary's brother, brother, (laughs) not his son, their brother, uh, had died, and Martha has this experience with Jesus where she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give to you. And Jesus responds. He does a little teaching there, and he says, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection. And then Jesus goes further to say, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he dies, will actually Mm -hmm. live. And then he asks Martha, do you believe this? And she, her answer is fascinating. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. I I love her honesty and yeah. in, in how she responds because that was a big new concept for her that this resurrection was actually going to bring a life that would go on forever. But she knew Jesus, and so she knew that because he was saying this, that this was going to be a truth that was going to become real in her life. Which, if I can interject, goes right back to what you said in the, when you were quoting the Hebrews passage, that it's it's the belief and it's the trust in the person of God and of Jesus that, that enables us to believe in a resurrection of the dead, that enables us also, as we see in the story of Genesis 22, to do really strange, hard things when God asks us. It's not because all of a sudden we necessarily have this amazing you know, surge of faith that came out of nowhere. It's because the, the identity of the person and the God that we serve is so um, steadfast and so trustworthy that that enables us to have those moments of faith and then to walk in them. Well, and you know, to go back to the story, that's what's 
when we see it unfold, it's fascinating how the details that seem almost throwaway are actually so very important yeah. to God's entire story of the whole Bible. In that, in Genesis 27, 22, 7, Isaac notices he and Abram are going on this journey, and they, he knows that there's going to be a sacrifice, and Isaac asks his father, behold, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the mm -hmm. lamb? Yeah. What was Abraham's response? So Abraham, Abraham, he answers and he says, God's, God's going to provide that for himself. We're, we're going to figure this out. So again, demonstrating this faith that somehow this is going to work out. And again, this idea where we have this word behold, which you just said. Um, so Isaac comments to Abraham, he says, uh, behold, we have all this, but some, we're missing a really key piece. And Abraham, almost prophetically in a way, says God is going to provide that for himself. It's, it's going to be made right. And then if you fast forward to the end of the story, um, if you look up, if you look in verse 13, it says, then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by its horn. So God has provided a sacrifice to meet, to meet God's demands. And what we see, what's so beautiful about how the, the way the scriptures work is that this idea, this word behold, uh, even from the Hebrew, it gets pulled forward through several, several years, many, many years. And we get to the New Testament, we get to John 1. And John 1 tells us, in verses 29 and 35, it says, verse 29 says, the next day he, and the he here is John the Baptist. So the next day, John the Baptist looks up and he sees Jesus coming towards him. And his, what does he say? He says, behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So again, God has provided by God's own self, by sending God's own self to earth, this sacrifice that we so desperately need. Which is exactly what is told us in that very familiar verse of John 3.16. For God so loved yeah. the world that he gave his, his one and only son, yeah. just like he was asking Abraham to do. And that whoever would believe, just like Jesus told Martha, if you believe in this, whoever will believe will not perish, but will have eternal life. Yeah. And that's a key element because that goes back to the covenant mm -hmm. that God had made back in Genesis 15 yep. with Abram. And tell us about that covenant. What did, what was Sure. So we see God we see God make covenants with his people throughout the a good many stories in the Old Testament. And with Abraham especially, we see this take place in, in one of the instances where God covenants himself to Abraham. Abraham's asleep during the whole thing. He's not even actively participating. And so what God does, God, God himself enacts all of the rights of this covenant. We have, if you remember, it's a very visceral story where animals are split in two and, and this flaming um, thing goes between them. And God himself takes up, takes action and walks between these animals and said and basically in essence says if this covenant if I break this covenant or if I let this covenant be broken let what has been done to these animals be done to me and God knows in doing that that we're not going to be able to keep the covenant because the guy he's making it with is asleep and so God we see this again pulled forward into the New Testament God knowing from before the foundations of the earth that we're not going to be able to do this on our own a human sacrifice that we enact is not going to fix this. An animal sacrifice we enact is not going to fix this. So what does God do? God, again, because he made that covenant and because he promised, he puts forth him, his very self 
to make things right. And I know you've talked a lot about that too, and I know you you have probably some really great stuff to add there as well, Martha. Well, and that's exactly what Paul tells us in Galatians, that that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. And it says, curse is everyone who, anyone who hangs on a tree. And so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, that yeah. covenant with Abraham, might come to the Gentiles, to us, to those of us who are listening here. And so then we see the whole story come full circle, where this is what God had put in place all those thousands of years ago so that we could be part of God's covenant people as well. And he longs to have that relationship, not just with a... uh, a certain group of people, but with the whole world. God so loved the whole world that he gave himself as the way that we could have our lives reconciled back to him and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I think for me, if I can just pull out like one big takeaway, I think for me, again, it goes back to this idea of Abraham's faith, Martha's faith, um, the faith, the faith of, of the people in the scriptures who were called to believe and do hard things, just as we so often are, was not just some sudden surge, like they got a, a quick injection of faith. It was always rooted in their knowledge of who they were believing in. It was rooted in the knowledge, that, just like you brought up earlier, that Abraham knew that if this comes to pass, that God can raise Isaac from the, He believed in the in the identity of his God. He be, And then Martha believes in the identity of who Jesus is and stakes all of her, she's put all her chips on the table and says, I'm all in with this. This is what I believe to be true. I know you can do this because I know who you are. And I think for me, that's one of the biggest takeaways of this whole thing is that my faith is is not gr- grounded in my ability to somehow pull myself up by my bootstraps and muster this faith. It's grounded in the identity of who I have faith in. So I don't I don't know if you have do you have a takeaway that for well, us to re- that just resonates with you. I love the I love the short story that you shared with me a while back about that what you had read with Kierkegaard. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Um, so the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, um, he gets a bad rap sometimes, but it's sometimes he, it just, he's the way he writes is confusing. Uh, but he talks about just in a really simplified way, he talks about how what happens with the story of Abraham and Isaac and what happens in these moments of great, uh, just, just moments of faith where again, we're not bringing these on ourselves. It's a gift. And we're able to have these moments of faith because we know who our faith is placed in. But when we are willing to step out in faith, And when we are willing to uh, live with our hands open, just willing to give things up for the sake of what God is calling us to, that when we give those things up, we receive back so much more. And almost like the chaff is blown away in the wind and what we receive back from God is so much more whole and perfected and wonderful than what we were trying to white knuckle and hold on to for so long. So in the act of giving things up that we feel that we are entitled to or we feel that we own, because of faith, we're, we're called to give these things up. We then receive so much more back um, through the mysteries of, of the way God works and through the Holy Spirit and through Christ Jesus. And that's what's so exciting about really digging into these difficult questions, these accounts that are in the Bible that we that we can wrestle with. Because when we do, when we're willing to look at it and through the scope of the whole Bible, through the lens of the whole Bible, and say, what is God really doing in this hard place? Rather than shy, shy away from it, to, to be able to 
turn and face it. What we realize is that there are implications for our own life as well. When God seems confusing and is asking more of us than we think we can handle, that we have these stories of faith that we see how God got through generations and generations yeah. of people who, when they trusted in who God was, were able to walk faithfully with him. And that encourages my faith. Mm. Yes, the stories of old that are in the Bible, but also like when you and I get together sure. and we st- we share our own times of wrestling and where we're really struggling with, I don't really understand what God's doing here. And we can encourage one another. And so... Thank you for this time that we could share and for this question that was asked so that we can be encouraged to go deep with our faith and look hard at the Bible in such a way that it brings life. Yeah. So with that, we're going to wrap up. We're so glad that you guys tuned in to this Wrestling With Scripture uh, podcast. We hope that this has blessed you. And if you have any questions, feel free to get in contact with Lorian Hook or Martha Moore at Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church. Thank you. Thank you.